Good morning. Ask you to turn in your Bibles, if you will, to Ephesians 6. One of my favorite notes to hit is that fairest Lord Jesus, that of, on Son of God. Y'all know what I'm talking about right there? But it takes more out of me than it used to, so let me catch my breath, because I, I knew it would be a stretch, but I did. I hit it. Well, that's, I believe I hit it. Some others may not. But uh, take the breath out of you. What a good morning and be able to gather together. And we're going to look together in Ephesians 6, continuing in our series on the whole armor of God. Remember, as the Apostle Paul has been writing in Ephesians, just this beautiful letter to the church at Ephesus, which he was uh, very close to and loved dearly, having spent some three years with them finding in Acts chapter 20 his farewell address, which Paul says in Acts 20 was laced with tears. And so there we recognize his love for the Ephesians, and as he's writing them, he's writing them here from prison, giving them encouragement to know how to face what they will face as believers. And in the summation of this letter, he comes to the end and he finally gives them this encouragement, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. And in order for you to be strong in the Lord, you must put on the whole armor of God for our battle is not against flesh and blood, Paul says. And so here in verse 13, having stated the case that they are to be strong, put on the armor, take it up, we see in verse 13 and 14 the beginning now of the Apostle Paul giving them the pieces of armor that are necessary for them to stand firm in the faith. To stand firm in the faith. So I want to read this morning verse 13 through 15. Our focus this morning will be on the belt of truth. But I don't want to just simply pull that out. It'd be weird for me just to go, let's read belt of truth and then preach. So let's read the context around it and see what we can learn this morning from God's Word. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13 through 15. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. We want to focus in again this morning in verse 14, where he says, having fastened on the belt of truth. Let's pray to God. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to gather here today. God, we thank you for the privilege of having your word be opened before us, the privilege of being able to look at it together, the benefit of having the Spirit here amongst us to make the word active like a two-edged sword in our own hearts and lives, Father. So now, as we look to this passage, may we fasten on the belt of truth in our own life. May we stand firm in it, God, just as you've called us to. All for your glory and in your name we pray. Amen. Quite surely, all of us have come to some point in our life where we felt like we couldn't take it anymore. Now, some of those things may be trivial. We were just tired and it was done. It was over. But others may 
be more serious as life continues to come at us and we just feel as if we can't take it anymore. I'm sure facing this relentless attacks or onslaughts of certain things in our life just bring us to that point of exhaustion. I was reminded of this and had a good picture of it this past summer, even of my own childhood, looking at my five-year-old. We were at the beach this past summer and sitting there right on the edge of the water. We were watching. Don't worry about that. But we let our five-year-old kind of venture out into the waves a little bit to, uh, to have some fun playing in the ocean. And it's always fun kind of for the dad. I chuckle. The mom gets a little bit. Allison gets a little bit, you know, making sure everything's okay. But it's always fun when that wave pops him real good and makes him do a flip or something. Y'all know what I'm talking about. You see how it just pops him and he does a flip, and that's good. He gets up smiling and wiping his eyes and everything else. But then it's that time whenever those waves just keep coming, and the first one hits him and knocks him down, and just about the time he gets up, the next one hits him and knocks him down. And before you know it, about three or four waves have already hit him and wiped him out, and by that time, Dad has to come and grab him. You know what I'm saying. And sometimes as we think about life and just considering that way, it's like battling against those ocean waves. One comes after another, knocking you down, getting up, and boom, another, and then another, and then another. It's relentless how life comes at us, and that's what Paul wants us to see when it comes to the attacks of the devil. The attacks of the devil are relentless. They are relentless. And I want us to take note of what Paul says here in verse 13. He says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to to able to withstand in the evil day. Paul's desire is for us to stand in that evil day. Now, I believe Paul is asserting the word day here with a sense of a time period or an age, like these are dark days or dark times. Paul is saying here in this day, maybe between the first coming of Christ and the second coming, this day where Satan is ruling and reigning in the prince of the power of the air, as the scripture says. And so we see here in this, between this first and second coming of Jesus, this dark day that is upon us. But I also believe that this refers personally as well to each and every one of us. Not just that we should expect it during this time that Satan would attack us, but also Paul is referring to specific times of attack that come with force and power upon each and every one of us. And maybe even as we look back in our life, we can see those specific times. The days are evil, Paul is saying, and they're going to be evil for you. You can count on it. They're going to come after you. You can be sure of that. And so I want you to stand firm in the midst of those, Paul is saying. Paul is not suggesting for us that there'll be times when it'll be where the days won't be evil. He's saying the day is evil, and so I want you to stand firm in the midst of it. I want you to be there. It's going to be evil in general as we see and look around us, but it's also going to be particularly strong against you as well as the believer. My point is, I believe Paul's point, in your life, there may appear to be times of reprieve or calm. They may appear, there, may, there may appear to be times where everything's kind of lulled to sleep and there doesn't seem to be any attacks going on. And 
You ease into some false sense of security, if you will, that you don't have to worry about the schemes of the devil. There may be times that you think the battle is over because life is so easy. There may be those times, but Paul wants you to know that that may be exactly where the devil wants you. For you to put your guard down, for you to lay your weapons down, for you to take off your armor, because the day is evil, it is coming, it is coming for each and every one of us. So take up the full armor of God, so that you can stand, so that you can stand against it. Paul's point is that you must always have this full armor on. Paul's point is that you must all be ready for the attacks of the devil. Don't let him lull you to sleep. Don't let him think that everything's okay. In fact, when you least expect it, and probably when you think it's all okay, is when he will attack, and he will attack most viciously. And as we see this then, Paul is saying in order for you to withstand this evil day and to stand firm, this armor that you have that the Lord has provided for you is a picture. This armor is a picture, an external picture of something that is actually internal and essentially spiritual. As we know today, none of us are picking up literal belts of truth and putting them on, right? None of us are picking up literal breastplates. I'm, i, I got to work on saying that word. I didn't feel like, realize I'd have a problem with breastplates. One has got to pick. We don't have those literally to pick up. What Paul is doing here is he's painting a picture for us of what it looks like to carry the full armor of God. He's painting a picture for us of what is essentially spiritual using these physical items. As Martin Lloyd-Jones has said, there's, there's little danger for us. There is a little danger for us to materialize this too much, to over-elaborate on the details. Consider that Paul, even as he's writing, is most likely, as, as he's writing, he's in prison, most likely chained to Roman guards, right? Even as he said that before. And so even as he's chained and writing this or dictating this letter, he's looking at the armor that they have on. And Paul is trying to describe what it means for us as believers using even what he sees. Describe what it means how we must be prepared soldiers to battle against the schemes of the devil. And so Paul uses this imagery to teach us what this means for us spiritually. How is this to be handled? What I mean by this is sometimes when you hear someone preach on this or teach on this, they become over, over uh, emphasizing what those pieces are and what those mean. When in reality, what Paul wants us to understand is this general significance here is much more than a belt or a breastplate or a helmet or shoes. What is significant is that we must be ready to fight with truth and righteousness and gospel and faith and salvation and word and spirit. That's what's significant for Paul. The pieces here help us understand the importance, but not to the point of, not to the point of becoming the emphasis. The emphasis here is that we fight with the truth of God's word. We fight with the truth of his righteousness, with the truth of his gospel, with the truth of the spirit. As we look at this armor, there's really two sets of three, I believe, that he gives. He gives the first set being the belt, the breastplate, and the shoes. These are the pieces of armor that fasten to the soldier that fasten tight to them. These are the pieces of armor that would, that would be tied to the soldier and not move or be swayed. The next 
section he gives is the helmet, the sword, and the uh, excuse me, shield. He gives these three, the shield, the helmet, and the sword. These are the three that they would hold, the helmet being sitting on the head and not being fastened. So in this, as you see these sets of two, I think Paul is building a case here of what we are to do, and we're going to take those in order. I believe that that's important, how they come to us, coming to us in this order. Paul building the case of how we are to fight. And he says we are to stand. The call to stand is expressed when believers have taken up the full armor. And the first piece needed in order to stand and be ready is the belt of truth. If we're going to stand in the midst of this evil day, be ready and be prepared, then we must put on the belt of truth. In our fight against the schemes of the devil, we must begin and end with the truth. The truth must undergird all of it, and that's exactly what Paul means here when he speaks of this belt. The belt of truth. The belt is the logical place to start because it would have been the first thing the soldier strapped on. The King James Version, maybe you grew up remembering this, and it may have seemed odd to you, but the King James Version says, we having your loins girt about with truth, the Scripture says. And that's good. I believe that's kind of getting that strong meaning in it. I believe the intent of this passage is found in the idea that we're to gird up our loins with truth. We, we think of a belt just simply for us as an accessory, but for the Romans, it was a little bit different. And we'll get to that. I believe, though, that there's a little bit of issue with that translation. I believe that the translation leaves some to be desired because it sounds passive. You're having your loins girt about with truth. I think what we see in our passage is a little bit better. We have fastened, we having fastened on the belt of truth. This is something we do. We put the belt of truth on. We gird ourselves up with truth. It's not passive for us. It's something that we do. We find ourselves in the truth, girding ourselves up. We put it on, gird ourselves up in the truth is what Paul is saying here. The belt for the soldier went on before the armor. It was under the armor. This is not the belt that would hold the sword. This is the belt that would go on like a girdle, if you will. And if you understand the, the, uh, how they dressed in those days, you would recognize they would wear long and flowing robes during the day. So the girdle would come on and it would tighten all of that together, which would allow the soldier to be ready to move quickly, to not be encumbered by, by all the other uh, parts of their clothing, but to gird all of their clothing up to bring it together so that it can move and get around quickly in battle over against those flowing robes that they would wear in those days, the belt or the girdle helped them fight without being encumbered. Helps them be free to move. Maybe to put this in more modern times, is there comes a time in every man's life when a belt is no longer an accessory but a necessity. Y'all know what I'm saying? Everybody get that? In other words, you can't fight with your pants falling down. You can't go to battle being encumbered by those things. You must have yourself ready for battle. And the belt was key in keeping yourself ready for battle. The belt is essential. It's essential for the Roman, for the Roman soldier. And it's essential for the believer. But what is it about it that's essential? What's essential for the believer is not that we have a belt on. What's essential for the believer is that we have the belt of truth girding ourselves up. 
For the Christian, our message is unashamedly and unambiguously claims to be the truth. Without any hesitation or reservation, we as believers must state that what we believe claims to be the truth, not just a truth, not just a posit of one amongst many, not just something you can pull out or pick up. We as Christians believe that what we have in God's word is the truth. Many people today try to deny this. They try to make the argument that truth is really relative. What may be true for you may not be true for others. And we can recognize in and every part of that, that is essentially nonsense. If something is true, it is true for always and forever. It is unchanging. It cannot be untrue at any point. If something is true as God's word says it is true, then it cannot be just one among many. God's word's claims set apart itself against every other claim that offers itself to be true. They're mutually exclusive. Either Jesus is the Son of God who came, suffered, and died for us, fully God and fully man, or he is not. Either he is the only way to heaven, or he is not. You cannot just have this as one offered up in amongst others. Many may say it does not matter what you believe as long as you are sincere. Well, as my grandmother used to say, I hear tell the road to hell is paved with good intentions, with sincerity. And just because you're sincere in a lie doesn't mean you have the truth. And what we see in this world is oftentimes when people make that statement, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere, it, it, usually, it usually only goes to what they think about God, not what they think about their stuff. You try to take their stuff, they got some truth about that, right? You try to mess with their life, they've got truth about that. But when it comes to God, they, they say, well, you can believe what you want to, but we recognize that this leads us only into nonsense. The Bible says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And if we begin right there, then we recognize that God is the one who's established all truth. He's the one who holds all truth. Christianity explicitly claims that it is not just one among many, but it is the truth. This theme has already run through the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians, Paul has already let this idea of truth flow through it. He says in chapter 1 that the gospel of your salvation is the word of truth. He says there in chapter 4 that we put on the belt of truth by putting away all falsehood in chapter 4, verse 25. We set, away, set aside all falsehood and we speak the truth in love in chapter 4, verse 15. We set aside what is false and we speak in love. We confess our sins. We don't cover them up. We don't hide them. We don't slander against one another. We deal honestly with others and we speak the truth in all things. And even when we love, we love with the truth. We love with the truth. God's truth is found ultimately, as we know, personally in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ says that he is the way, the truth, and the life. That all truth is found in him. And that truth that we find in Jesus has been revealed to us in his word. So that whenever we quote from the Apostle Paul, whenever we quote from, from Peter, whenever we quote from the Old Testament and Isaiah, we can truly say as believers in this place that Jesus has said, because God's word comes from him. He's the one who has revealed it and shown it to us. 
And it testifies of him. So not only do we know that Jesus is the truth, we also know that the scriptures testify to that truth. I remember, I remember as I was a young student at North Greenville University and keeping up really North Greenville College back in those days, uh, it grew after I left. I don't know if that says anything. But I was a student there, and I remember watching what was going on in the Southern Baptist Convention. And even as our convention was kind of winning itself back in our institutions from liberalism and, and other things that had taken over. And I remember listening to Dr. Uh, R. Albert Moeller as he preached his first sermon at Southern Seminary, having taken over his first convocation there, a special event when all of the uh, all of the faculty and others, many who were opposed to him being there, all of them came in and sat. The room was packed. I had the privilege this last week of being at convocation again at Southern Seminary. I remember his first convocation there simply had a title that said, don't just do something, stand there. We, we hear that phrase flip, don't just stand there, do something. But Dr. Moeller was making a clear point, don't just do something, stand there. It doesn't matter what you do unless you are standing upon the truth. And from standing upon the truth, now we can act in such a way that honors God and glorifies his name. We stand here upon this. And Paul says, if you're going to fight the schemes of the devil, you must gird yourself up in the truth. You must gird yourself up in the truth. Don't just do something. Stand here. The major part of this present darkness, as Paul says in Ephesians 12, the major part of this present darkness is Satan's attempt to combat God's truth. The great scheme of the devil is to lie. It's at the heart of everything he is. It is who he is. It's his character and nature in and of itself. His character and nature is to lie. And we need God's truth to battle against Satan's lies. When we are introduced to the devil, introduced to Satan, we find him in Genesis 3 lying. It's what he does deceiving and lying we find him lying there in the garden this is his primary scheme above all others as jesus says in john chapter 8 whenever many of the pharisees were claiming that god was their father jesus said that's not your father you do the acts that your father does right you behave like your father jesus says so he says your father is the devil he was a murderer. Listen what Jesus says about him. He was a murderer from the beginning. And he does not, listen to this, he does not stand in the truth. Do you hear what he's saying? We as believers who've been purchased by Jesus Christ, our first calling is to stand in the truth. But it says this about the devil. When Jesus describes him, he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. Jesus says the devil himself is a liar and the father of lies and when he speaks, he's lying. It is his very nature and it is his very character. The devil spits out lies over and over and over again. It's like when people tell me they're just trying to play the devil's advocate. I stop them and say, hey, he's got plenty. He don't need you, right? 
What he does is he spits out lies over and over. And his attempt is for those lies to be so ridiculous even sometimes that you think and you set your guard down, no way I'll fall for that. But what we see in our world is that so many have fallen for his lies. So many have fallen for his lies. Think of some of them. When he says that, look at you, you old sorry rascal. Being godly is impossible, so don't even try. It's a lie. Sin is inevitable. Sin is inevitable, so it's not that big a deal. Look around at everybody. They're all sinning. It's no big deal. Don't worry about it. We all do it. That's a lie. Your past, your bad past that always comes back to haunt you, your past must lead you to a bad future. You're good for nothing. You've demonstrated it, and that's all you'll ever be. Those are lies the devil continues to say over and over. You're worthless. You can never succeed. You can never pull it out. You can never be anything in life. He lies, and he uses others to spit these lies out in such a way that it, it attacks after you. He lies about our happiness. He tries us to think that happiness is be, can be found in our sin or indulging of our lives and ourselves. He lies about that. And if you're unhappy, he wants you to believe that's somebody else's fault, not your own. He wants us to turn into victims. He wants us to turn into those who, who despise these things and recognize and think that we, we have only been done wrong and it's everybody else's fault, it's not ours. Why? Because if that's the case, then we never see our sin for what it is and we never turn from it and repent because we believe our sin and our life is only the effect of what everybody else has done to us and that's the lie of the devil. Surely we've been victimized, but we must not understand we must not understand our lives in just victim sense. We must understand ourselves in need of a Savior. The devil wants us to believe that this life is all that there is, so he lies to you. He says, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die. You only live once. And your identity, your identity is in something other than the Lord. He wants you to believe that your identity is found in the summation of what you have in life. He wants you to believe that your identity is found in your past and all the adding together of your sins and bad decisions. He wants you to believe that your, your identity is found simply in your sexuality. He wants you to believe that your identity is found simply in what you do and how you can perform. He wants you to believe your identity is found in anything other than the Lord God Almighty. He lies. And to keep us from finding out the truth, he even lies about the Bible, right? To keep us from finding out the truth, he lies to keep us from reading the truth. You already know it, don't read it. That's a lie. Every time we pick it up, we learn God from God's word. No one can understand it, so don't read it. That's a lie. Just go down to our children's department and see that our children understand the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ from 8 to 80. It doesn't matter when it is. God's word is clear and understandable. It's boring. Don't read it. If you think the Bible is boring, you haven't read much of it. It's rich and exciting. He wants you to think it's outdated, so don't read it. What does a date have to do with anything? God's word describes to us exactly the condition of humanity and exactly who God is. And if you read it, you'll find there's no, no way it's out of date. It speaks right to us even today. He wants you to believe it's just a bunch of rules. So don't read it. 
And that's the one. That's the one I want to end on here today. The idea that Satan's lie is God's word and truth is just a bunch of rules, so don't mess with it. God's word is not just a bunch of rules. God's word is grace and life. God's word is grace and life. It isn't just rules. It's about joy. God's word is about where we find our true happiness and our true joy. Exactly what we are looking for is contained in God's truth. And just as the world says we still haven't found what we're looking for, they haven't looked where they need to look. When they look upon God's Word, they find exactly what they long for. Every single one of us are longing for satisfaction. We're looking to be fulfilled. We want to find true joy. We want to find true happiness. And what we do is we try to find it in the husks and the garbage and the trash of this world, just like that prodigal son wandering around through the what they were feeding the pigs, and he's looking and realizing this stuff can never satisfy satisfy me. I know where I can find satisfaction. So he, in his humility, heads back to his father's house and says, just give me some crumbs. Your people eat better truth than anybody else does. And so it is for God's word. In God's word, we find everything we long for. We find the satisfaction we are looking for. We find the hope we're desperate for. And how do we find it? How has this been attained for us? Because when you read God's word, you recognize that when we put on the full armor, we're not the first ones to have worn that armor. The word of God tells us that we're not going into battle alone. The word of God tells us that we don't fight against the schemes of the devil by ourselves. Isaiah 11, 5, the prophet tells us that there's coming one, there's coming one who will fight on our behalf. There's coming one who will put the armor on. In fact, it uses the exact words that faithfulness is the belt of his loins. That word faithfulness is aletheia. That means exactly truth. Faithfulness and truth together are the belt of his loins. And there's coming one who will fight on behalf of his people that will strap on the belt of truth and will go to war for them. Notice when Satan tempted Jesus in the garden. Jesus having not eaten for 40 days. There in the garden, some of y'all hadn't eaten for 40 minutes and you're already mad at me for preaching too long. Jesus hadn't eaten for 40 days. Surely at his weakest moments, surely at the moments where he was most susceptible to attack there in the wilderness, Satan appears to him face to face. And no matter what we've been through, we still hadn't had the temptation like this before. Satan appears to him face to face. And what does Jesus say when Satan offers those three little suggestions? Let me remind you of what Jesus says. He simply says, it is written. It is written. It is written. Jesus' attack and his safety against the devil's schemes right there is that he builds his case upon the truth. And there he stands. There he stands. He goes against the temptations. He goes into the midst of battle and he stands upon the truth, girds himself up with the truth, and there he is victorious, even in the wilderness. But that's not his only victory. Read the word that Satan tries to get you to keep from reading and you'll find out that not only did Jesus strap on his belt of truth, but he strapped it on in such a way that he stood firm, even going against the schemes of the devil all the way to the cross. Because Jesus wins and truth then reigns. All of those who believe in him by faith, all of those who believe in him by faith are also what Revelation says, faithful and true. 
faithful and true. You see, for us, as we gather here today, we must recognize that the schemes of the devil are relentless. And the moment you think they're not even happening right now, that everything's hunky-dory and fine, is when Satan has you right where he wants you. We can never put down the belt of truth. The belt was the first thing strapped on by the Roman soldier, and when he left battle, it was the last thing taken off. And for us as believers, it's the first thing we must strap on. Every day, it's the first thing we must strap on, God's truth. And it's the last thing we're to take off. The last thing. God's Word is not just a bunch of rules. God's Word is grace, and it is truth, and it is life for us. God's word satisfies. Don't fall for the schemes of the devil. You are, you are found in the Lord when you call upon him. You are defined not by your past, not by your sexuality, not by any other thing the world tries to give. You are defined ultimately and finally by your relationship with Jesus Christ. And my prayer is today, my prayer is today that you will find yourself found in him and your testimony would be, I once was, but now I'm. All because of what Christ has done. All because of what he's done. The devil lies to you relentlessly. So we must hold fast to the truth tirelessly. Strap it on. Gird yourself up in it so that we'll be able to withstand what he sends our way. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this glorious word today. We thank you that your word is not boring, but it is true. We thank you, Father, that it does not fail, but it always succeeds. We thank you, God, that it does not get less and less, but it gets sweeter and sweeter, and it satisfies in every way. So help us today, Father, as we face this schemes of the devil that he throws at us so quickly, Father. Help us to face it girded up in truth, not falling for lies, but trusting in the one who has revealed himself to be true. God, some may be here today that the lies of the devil have become so great in their life they begin to believe them. Father, clear that out this morning by the power of your spirit and help them to see the truth of God's word. Help no one here to be fallen for the lie, but all to be resting in the truth. All of that we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you are here believing a lie still. Listen to the truth of God's word. Jesus Christ came, suffered, and died in your place so that you may have life. And all you have to do is turn to him and every hope and joy you long for will be found. That's the truth. That's the truth. And so I pray that's it for you, that you'll turn to the truth of Jesus Christ. Believer, gird yourself up. Gird yourself up in the truth. Find yourself in the Word. I'll be standing here if anyone wants to come down and speak to me, if anyone wants to talk about joining our church or giving their life to Christ. I'll be standing here. Let's stand together and sing.